Welcome to The Sound Barrier, Northeast State's official podcast. We're coming at you here uh, from the Entertainment Technology Studios on the Bloodville campus in the lovely Technical Education Complex building. Come out and see it if you get a chance. My name's Tom Wilson. I'm going to be your co-host for this episode. And we have a new member of the Sound Barrier crew. Oh, yes. A new co-host joining us for the first time today, Mackenzie Moore-Gent. And we are delighted to have her here. Also joining us on this podcast, two Northeast State professors who really know their stuff. ChatGPT, that's Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. That's what that acronym stands for, in case you were wondering. It's part of artificial intelligence. You've probably read about all that stuff in the paper. Our professors and guests here today are going to talk about that. Artificial intelligence and its effect on education and the human mind. Joining us are Associate Professor of Psychology, Kristen Lazarova, and Associate Professor of History and Humanities, Tabitha Garman. Welcome, friends. So glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having us. This is very exciting. Um, now, first of all, uh, tell, Tabitha, uh, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you came to Northeast State and kind of your interest in history and how you came here. Um, I had a long and winding educational path. And I came to history as my, I don't know, 27th major at some point because a history professor said, hey, you're really good at this. I had never thought of doing history because it was too easy. And I always assumed you had to work really hard for everything. And history always came easy to me. And so I switched majors and just never stopped going to school after that. Just kept on going. I ended up at Northeast State. I taught at Lees McRae and at ETSU. I had some job offers other places, but I had three kids in school, and I love this area, and I wanted to stay here. So when the full-time position opened up and I got it, I was thrilled, and this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Kristen, please tell us about yourself. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for having me also on The Sound Barrier. Uh, I've been interested in understanding human thinking and behavior since I was a child. And when I entered college, even though I found a variety of courses that I took to be interesting, I found that psychology courses were the most fascinating, and they helped me to understand uh, the people around me, my family, myself, uh, and I was really interested in, uh, in, in a lot of the research that I was reading at the time. So throughout graduate school, I became interested in the area of motivation, and then um, perhaps having children of my own, I became interested in child learning and development, which then led me to uh, pursue a PhD in that area, which I'm uh, currently working and about to begin my dissertation. Well, impressive. Also glad. Thank you again, uh, both of you all, for being here. And of course, the topic of this is artificial intelligence, and certainly a, a very popular topic. It's their artificial intelligence engines are being produced by the dozens, if not the hundreds now. Just from an educator's point of view for both of you, what do you see uh, this technology, is it changing classrooms? Is it changing how you relate to students? Is it changing um, the students' content they turn in uh, for your classes? I, For me personally, it's not a problem. In fact, I'm actually, I incorporated um, one of the AI technologies, educational co-pilot into my final for my history 2020 class. They're using it to create lesson plans to teach a class. Um, I can see where for some academic fields, 
uh, like composition or whatever, this is going to get in the way or could. I think an obvious solution would be a flipping classroom, which is something that's been around for a while. Um, so I think it will have an effect and change things. I also think it could be a positive tool that can be used by students um, like struggling to get a paper started or not really knowing how to put uh, an essay together. Because you do have to be able to know what you know to enter the information in to get a good answer. So mm -hmm. I think it can be beneficial, but I do think it's going to change things. I mean, it just has to because the way we're doing things now, it's just not going to be the same. I would agree. I think it's going to change things tremendously and that it's going to be important for for faculty to be aware of these rapid changes and to stay as best they can, at least up to speed with them, if not ahead of those changes, so that they can utilize those uh, new technologies in the classroom. And I think it also is useful in helping faculty to potentially better uh, understand their students. And I say this because um, I have found for myself that ChatGPT uh, and other forms of, um, of AI that use that same type of technology are, have been really, have been useful in helping me to, uh, to think about examples of concepts or how I might synthesize theories that I otherwise, because of my own limitations as a human being with my own biases, my own perspectives, my own history, my own emotions, may not have otherwise been able to see. And so I think the more that I can think, the more broadly that we're able to think about content, then the more effective we are able to be as instructors. And I think that ChatGPT provides that potential because when you're asking ChatGPT a question, of course, you need to have some background information. But as you do, it may encourage you to think about things that you may not have otherwise thought about before. So I think it's useful from an instructor point of view, too. And then the other thing I think is uh, very beneficial is that it provides a higher springboard from which thinking about topics and issues can begin. And again, since we are limited by things like our experiences, our expectations, and our emotions, how we synthesize uh, what we read can be somewhat limited and not necessarily a full reflection of the possibilities. And with this large language model that ChatGPT uses, um, it's it's in essence, it's a collective of information. It's taking information, or it has taken information information that has been, um, that's coming from multiple sources, multiple perspectives. And I think it reduces that tendency to, um, that we may have as much as we might fight against it to seek evidence that may be in line with our current thoughts, beliefs, and values. We can intentionally try to avoid doing that, but I think it is, we as humans, we have our biases just by the virtue of the things that we are interested in. That may leave out other things. And I think AI has the potential to potentially incorporate other things that we may not have ever thought about into that, um, into, into our learning and into, and which then translate and can translate into the classroom. So you're talking about more as how there is a human limitation. We all are limited in to how we think and how we perceive and how we build ideas on, uh, set a sort of foundation for our, our, our ideas. Um, I know that AI has been a concern in content creation field specifically. Um, people may be intimidated. Well, AI may come up with 
a more useful campaign or uh, more creative, um, I guess, uh, projects and ideas than I may come up with it with. But in reality, you can think of it as more of a tool, like you were saying, the human limitation with creativity. There, there are endless um, imaginative, uh, I guess, um, aspects of AI. Um, so um, I know that I've used AI to help me as a tool in some, some areas I might come in a roadblock with creative projects. And I'll use that as a foundation to kind of get the ball rolling, so to speak, when I feel like I've kind of reached my limit yes. from a creative standpoint. Mm -hmm. So um, we've both kind of, I've heard you both kind of talk about how this can be used as a tool in the classroom. Are there any instances where like educators should be worried about this or? I think you should be worried about it if all you're going to do is give your students a research assignment and send them on their way. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you've lost control of what the student does with it. Yeah. And they could theoretically pop something in um, to an AI generator and get the entire essay that way. You have to think more creatively, like you were saying. I also think, and I wanted to piggyback on what you were talking about, of all the purposes on AI, what it could be used for. It's also great for summarizing. You can put in a larger passage and say, summarize it, and then you can compare it with your notes. I'm also mm -hmm. a student currently at ETSU in the Educational Leadership Program, okay. and I've been doing that with some of the stuff that's complicated concepts where I'm struggling to understand it. If you run it through, it'll just summarize it up. So I think... My main focus as far as advice to other instructors would be don't be afraid of it, use it. If you put it into your assignments, if you incorporate it into the work, then no one's cheating. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. using the tool and then you could use that essay it's generated to do corrections or what have you. But I just think not being afraid of it and be, not being afraid to learn something new is the most important thing. There are areas we're going to have to be careful of, but... To a certain extent, we already had to. That's why we had Turnitin to begin with, was to find places where copy and pasting was being done. And it's always a tendency. And I think also emphasizing, and we had talked a little bit about this before the podcast started, um, emphasizing the process of learning to the students. It's not a gotcha game where I'm trying to set you up so that you cheat and I'm trying to catch you cheating. Um, it is more about the learning process and the education behind it. The diploma at the end of the trail doesn't get you anything. It's the education behind the diploma. So if students choose to use it to cheat, then the only person that's getting hurt is, is them because they're losing out on that educational process. So I think the only thing we can really do as faculty is incorporate it. I think we can incorporate it by um, thinking about what differentiates the human experience and what it means to be human from what AI can currently do. Now currently AI can, uh, in what is available to the public, AI does not have self-awareness. It doesn't have the ability to, um, to incorporate emotions and to have aspirations. Uh, it's, it does not have the ability to verbally communicate in ways like it can in written form. So there are ways that instructors can adjust assignments or create new assignments that s really separate what it means to be human from what AI is and still utilize what AI is providing, providing the basis of information, a basis of understanding, 
but then perhaps taking that information and using it in a real world context. And that's really what learning is and what I think students who graduate will need to be able to do. We want students who can think critically. We want students who can create. We want students to be able to be, to think about what they're learning from an interdisciplinary perspective, to come up with new ways of doing things. And I think if we are simply having asking students to uh, repeat what they have read or to only synthesize what they have read, which are that is important to be able to synthesize. But if that's all we are going to do now, then we're not preparing students for what they need to be as they graduate. Students will need to be able to do the things that, um, for lack of a better phrase, but that chatbots can't do. And to synthesize is something that um, they will need to be able to do, but they need to take it uh, many steps further and be able to use what they're learning in a meaningful way. If I can just add on to that too, that what you're saying is so accurate that you can use this. I, it's like, um, I think of the chat as, and this is an oversimplified analogy, but as a English version of a calculator. It takes some of the guesswork and the small things out so you can focus on the bigger issues. So you could technically use chat to come up with a, 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 a rote essay and then have students go through it and add in personal context or, or other connections or, like you were saying, synthesizing. There are just so many ways it can be used. And I also think it's important, and this is what got me thinking, it's going to exist um, after they graduate. So we may as well be showing them how they can use this successfully now. You know, this is how you can use it. This is the limitations of it. This is how you can improve on it. Um, what you need to check. I, I, it's, it's not capable of feeling the chat, and it's not capable of necessarily keeping, not being a hypocrite or, or holding two opposite ideas. So being able to go through and fix all that, I don't know. I just feel like it's a huge tool. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something that th this could be really important. I think of my students who struggle with writing, just to take a little of that pressure off, a little of that fear off, so they can focus on putting their thoughts on paper as opposed to, am I writing this correctly? Have I done this right? Which is the semantic stuff that's not interesting. It's yes. the thought process, the perspectives, the ideas, that's what we want, you know? Yes, I think all of what you're saying is so true. As I think about the benefits of this technology, I think it will require that all of us are aware of what it is capable of doing and that the more that we become aware of it, I think the less fear that people will have, just like anything that we've seen throughout um, history, as you could probably much better speak on than I could. But I, I think about the, the fear that people may have today being based upon not having enough information, and I think just spending some time with it and reading about it, learning about it, will help to reduce the fear and for people to then see this tremendous opportunity that's in front of them and this opportunity for learning to be so much more meaningful for students. I think it will drive education uh, more in the direction of what really enhances learning, which is having meaningful 
experiences, being able to use what you're learning, being able to create new things or new products. And I mean products meaning things like things that are original, original mm -hmm. things you write, original things that you may create that are tangible. Uh, I think that this technology is, um, it really is a great opportunity for students. And it's going to be important for us as faculty to, to model this desire to learn and this desire to explore and to use it. And I think it's part of encouraging lifelong learning and a desire to continuously learn, not just in the class, but to see life as learning. It's, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, speaking of history, do you, do you either one of you think that uh, these conversations were being had when Gutenberg rolled out the printing press? Oh, of uh, no, hey, the, the world's going to come to an end because we can now read the within language. Within forty years of the printing press, press being created, we had our first book burnings. So absolutely, mm -hmm. and the argument at the time was all of this knowledge is causing people to question the status quo. Mm -hmm. So it's better to eliminate the knowledge. And so, right. yeah, I think that's the, the tendency is to say, how do we prevent our students from using this? How do we stop them? And the bottom line is we can't. The yeah. technology is here. Um, another example is like early factories and the Luddites, you know, stopping the factories. And we read those stories and you feel so empowered. Here, these workers were taken back. It didn't work. I mean, the factories still came. I mean, it didn't change anything. So we can fight against it or we can accept it and adapt. Um, the process is a lot quicker and a lot less painless if we just accept it and see it as a positive tool and move forward. I think with AI, we're going to see growth that is so fast that if if we are not embracing it with students, then we are doing them a disservice. I think to create a sense of um, of you know the sense that if you use it, you are not being honest and you cannot use this for assignments. I think that is not preparing students for what we really want them to be able to do. It's like it, when the big um, anti-Wikipedia, when it, Wikipedia first got started, don't use Wikipedia for any of your sources. So everyone still used it. They just left it off the bibliography. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and it didn't go away, and it's fine. And, yeah. you know, we just adapt and move on. And, and actually, as you say this about Wikipedia, it has caused me to think about how in my courses, um, I think it's an opportunity, Wikipedia was an opportunity to talk with students about the strengths and benefits um, or the strengths and weaknesses of Wikipedia mm -hmm. and to encourage them to scroll down to the bottom to look at the sources and then be, and then direct them to look at those sources and then provide them with some of the tools that they would need in the future to be able to evaluate those sources. So instead of just let's avoid it, we need to encourage students to think about it. Mm -hmm. I think this is what maybe students um, are, I think maybe students have in some instances through earlier education they have been in sometimes students have shared that they've that learning has been more of a memorization task more of a task where they're told to do things to think a certain way to write a certain way and i think if we are telling students if we have these specific rules that they're supposed to engage in and not explain them, we're just continuing that more, more of an authoritarian approach to interacting with students and to learning. And that's not what will benefit. Talking about history, and you mentioned authoritarian, a colleague here at Northeast State, David Blair, here in Technologies, he, we had him on a previous episode talking about some of the technological aspects of AI. 
the, the AI tools that are coming out, they're only as good, really, as their programming. Mm-hmm. And as educators, it, people go into psychology, everything about how humans think. How vigilant do you, as uh, as educators and just as, as as human beings, want to stay about what these tools are programming, depending on who's in control of the programming and what product is being rolled out? Because, I mean, the tools are all obviously being monetized. They're going to be used and adopted by various institutions, organizations. How vigilant do do use teachers, but also just every human being need to stay, need to be about what I'm getting when I program into an AI tool. Is it really true or is it what a programmer wants to suggest to me it's true? Exactly. That's That can be a a danger. But then again, the danger already exists. There are websites you can go to that claim to have the Bill of Rights where they've subtly altered the wording. So it's more reflective of whatever political views they have. So if you didn't know what the Bill of Rights were, if you've never read the Constitution, you wouldn't know there was a mistake. So I think all of this equipment, in addition to being only as good as the programmers, it's also only as good as the user. Mm -hmm. Um, If the user doesn't know anything, and they're asking the computer to solve the problem for them, then you're relying on the programmer's perspective or whatever capabilities or limitations of that particular technology. And you're never going to know if you have the right answer unless you do the work. I think the best use for these type of things is when you already know, but you're not quite sure how to say. And that's why you can, where it can be a benefit, AI. Um, but I think relying on it for a sole answer, you do have to stay vigilant because there are people out there who are going to be bad actors and they may have good intentions. As we say in history, the bad guys never know they're bad. They all think they're saving the world. Um, and you have to be careful because they, you may be getting a point of view or a limited perspective that's damaging your own education in the process. So. And I think this becomes an opportunity mm. for class discussions where students then have, um, even an assignment could be given where students are asked to inquire about something of interest to them, asking a question in ChatGPT, and then asked to learn more about whatever concepts or content comes up in the GPT response to determine how quote-unquote accurate or inaccurate that is. So I think it can become an exercise in expanding critical thinking for students if it's used properly. If we're only coming in to chat GPT as a student and we're accepting that what we're given is true, then it's a problem. And that may be where students go initially if they don't know enough about it. But then faculty have, I think it be, it almost becomes an, an obligation in a way um, in the learning environment for faculty to help students to understand the potential biases just like they would have for other potentially biased sources that are out there. And everything that we, everything that we read, everything that we hear has the potential for bias. Mm -hmm. We are human beings. We are not um, automated. And even if we were automated, the automation would have been programmed by humans, which is inherently biased. And so we have to constantly be vigilant of that. And perhaps with the use of algorithms, there may be less bias over time. But then what does that mean, less bias? Is it, is it, um, is it incorporating the values of everyone? Is it incorporating only certain values? Is it incorporating only certain cultural perspectives? What lens is the response 
um, the, the response that is given by uh, ChatGPT, what lens is that uh, response given through? Mm-hmm. Is it including ver- a variety of backgrounds? That's another thing that I think about with ChatGPT. I wonder what are the implications for us as a global society? Because when we think about different perspectives, it's so beneficial for learning, for us to hear different perspectives. And ChatGPT is taking data that's already been entered. I think right now it's prior to 2021. And what I wonder is who, what, what, what is the source of all of that data? That's, the I think, an interesting thing for us to think about. And then who is left out? Who isn't included? What perspectives are not included in that source? And it's, I think, about people who maybe have never had an opportunity to uh, to to perhaps submit anything online, to write anything online. People who live in remote parts of the world whose perspectives are just as valuable as those who's, um, who've, who have been able to put their perspective online and therefore their perspective gets included in the chat GPT response. So we have to think about structures uh, like power structures, power differentials, the values that chat GPT not that it possesses values in the in a human-like sense, but I think the values that are inherently present in the response that ChatGPT gives, is it reflective of other cultures and other ways of thinking and living? And so then that can be an opportunity for students to think about. It's just even taking something they went through ChatGPT, like for a historical research class, and then asking students to find sources to verify everything in it. You'd still, all of it can be turned into a learning yes. experience. And not to repeat, but it's not going away. No. But it and it is a great it is a mm-hmm. great opportunity for us as faculty to grow as well. Agreed. So, what message would you have to faculty who might be afraid of you know AI and its growth? Adapt or die. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I. You have to grow. You have to, especially. Here's my perspective. Um, we're at a community college. We don't have expectation of publication or anything like that. Our focus is supposed to be on educating. Mm -hmm. And just like any other career you could have, you need to stay up to date. You need to keep fresh. You need to bring in new equipment and ideas and current scholarship and all of that. This is just another thing we have to absorb and figure out how we can best use it. And ultimately, again, I think it's also important to note that the purpose is to educate the student. If a student is taking a shortcut and trying to do an essay on chat GBT uh, so that they don't have to learn, then that's something we need to be able to address. You know, why are you here? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do here? This is why I'm teaching you what I'm teaching you and why we need to go through this process. And I think most students would be fine with that. You know, it's not, you just have to accept it and figure out how best to use it and stop waiting for other technologies to come along to catch students using it, which is what a lot of feedback I'm getting. Turn it in, we'll update, and it'll catch everybody. It's like, but if you're having to catch them, then maybe we need to adjust the way we're teaching it so that the inclination isn't as easy to come to to cheat or as appealing. You know, if the story, like you were saying, if you make it personal, if you make the essay about themselves or their lives, you can still do the same thing in, in the reason for having the students write the essay, 
but they'll be more inclined to write it themselves because it's about them. And I, mean, I just think there are a lot of ways around it. So be creative. Uh, educational Copilot is an AI where teachers can use it to come up with lesson plans and everything like that. And, you know, try it. How do you incorporate it into your class and see what it comes up with? And use AI, experiment with it, and see what your students see appealing in it. And then we can address it better. Absolutely. I think also what we need to do is that we need to think about the end goal for students. And if we are in a, if we are looking at a future and even a, a current society where information is so readily available and to be able to even synthesize is not enough when you graduate from college, that we need to prepare students to be able to create, to think in new ways, to make learning personally meaningful. And this can be done across a multitude of fields. It's not limited to one particular or two particular major areas of, of study. You can make learning relevant to you. You can be creative. I think that innovation is going to be, um, that encouraging innovation among students is going to be a key to their future success. And so if that's our end goal for students to have the ability to differentiate themselves from what technologies are able to do and will be able to do. Because we hear about technologies just like they have in the past taking, not taking, but resulting in humans who not, not no longer being needed in certain professions. And so if we know that that's happening, then we have to think, what can we do to help students so that they can do what AI cannot do? What can we do to help them to have better social interactions, to be more empathetic? What can we do to help them to be more creative? What can we do to encourage an interconnectedness or an interdisciplinary approach to learning and thinking? What can we do to help them to be uh, more culturally aware? Uh, I think these are things that we need to do because it will prepare students. And if we incorporate this into assignments, then by virtue of doing so, then we are reducing the chance of cheating mm -hmm. just because that's not what AI can do. So I think that it's really to the benefit of students in the long run, and it's to the advantage of faculty and students to our overall um, learning environment if we do that in the classroom. How do you see the, the, the cognitive process of, of human beings changing, not, not just this generation, but maybe a generation down the road, two generations down the road, depending on, and again, I go back to this, but depending on what organization or government or what have you is doing the programming of the AI tool, is it replacing or is it changing human beings' ability to think positively? I know you you both really talked well about all the benefits of it. What kind of distance does technology put between humans as far as feeling, emotion, uh, empathy, connectivity with other people in person? To kind of yes, you can see it on a screen, and AI can generate generate it for you. How is it? Do you see this changing, if at all, human connectivity in person? I know we're all we're all online now because we were locked down and everything else, but what's the future of the human brain on this? We are social creatures. We do want to connect with others. There are multiple ways that we can connect with others, especially as adults. But then I think about children, for example, or I think about um, even going in, going back to infancy, and we can go throughout the um, educational experiences or the years of education that a children may have and the potential for 
these for technology to um, or the possible ways that technology may affect a child's development. I think if we look at human beings, we have an innate need to connect. It's important for us to uh, connect. It's so important that when you and I experience stress, for example, there is a release of oxytocin, which encourages bonding. And so it's part of our human nature to seek connection with others. We as adults, we know we can seek connection using technology, but for young children, I don't know that that's, um, that's going to be um, as, as natural, of a, not natural, but I don't know that that's going to be uh, a process that's going to result in the same type of positive benef benefits that it might for adults. I think about the need for children to attach to, um, to a, another person, someone who provides warmth and comfort and consistent caregiving. And I wonder about what, this, what these new technologies may mean for those types of interactions in the future. I wonder what will these new technologies mean for learning environments for children. When I think about learning, it's important for children to be able to trust the environment, for children to feel calm in the environment. And if there are new technologies or if there are technologies that are not understood or technologies that don't promote that sense of calmness, that sense of connection, I think it's potentially going to affect the learning atmosphere. It can affect curiosity. We know that for young children that those who feel securely attached to their caregiver, that they are much more likely to exhibit uh, signs of curiosity. They're going to feel like they can trust their environment, and curiosity is a key component of cognitive development. So I think we need to somehow, we need to think about the role of technology in potentially affecting what would naturally be happening between a human and a, a human adult or a caregiver and a child and then the longer term effects. The other thing I think that's interesting for us to think about is how does the presence of, of technology influence our individual behavior, especially if we're not aware of the influence of technology. If we think, for example, about the role of the social environment in shaping behavior, and we are all in an environment where we are perhaps not physically interacting with another individual, but maybe we have some communication that's taking place um, electronically. So we don't know exactly who we're communicating with, kind of like you may see today with Twitter, for example, or some of the other forms of communication. What happens in a social environment is that we tend to often go with what the dominant views are. We tend to, we see a tendency for people to conform. We see a tendency for people to, um, to sometimes give up what they know to be right or the way that they uh, the things that they value because they see other people doing things or what they think are people doing things. And there's been some interesting studies. There was one done at Yale a, a few years ago where they found that um, when they uh, researchers put these so-called bots into the picture, which were um, bots that were communicating electronically and that humans thought that the bots were behaving in a selfish way, not knowing that they were bots, but they noticed selfishness that it increased their own selfish behavior. And so I wonder then what will the implications be for us as humans? A lot of interesting research opportunities, but we have to think about these things sooner than later because this technology is rapidly changing and evolving.
I think it's also fair to note that there's already been, I would, I would say, damage from online environments, and it's self-inflicted. When we self-isolate online, we only talk to people who think like we do. We that gives you a false sense of the larger perspective, and, and all, and that more people believe this certain thing. And it's just like living in a small town. You assume that everybody, countrywide, thinks like the people in the small town. And if you've never traveled. That's your assumption. So whenever you hear anybody who does not agree with whatever your values are in that small town, you assume they're the outlier, and that you're. And that's we've already done that to ourselves, um, which is, in my opinion, damaged curiosity because we're actually actively encouraged not to seek out other points of view or other perspectives because that might damage your perspective. So you have to stay isolated. I I think AI has the possibility to break through that. Because it does gather from so many places, at least right now. Now, as you pointed out, as this gets bigger and bigger, it's going to get more controlled and manipulated. And pretty soon, we'll have Pepsi Cola AI that's going to be working Pepsi into every other sentence or, or whatever. <laughs> um, so that's definitely going to happen. That's just the way it is. But at the same time, using a more educational version of AI could pull in these perspectives that you wouldn't consider. So when you're writing your essay and you're coming from a narrow worldview and you're entering this information, the AI could accidentally educate you of other perspectives or other ways of looking at a thing. Um, so I think cognitively we're already struggling, and, and that's partially because of just the way we've chosen to use the tools we have. But that's a choice. I mean, we're choosing actively to do these things. So I think you bring up so many interesting points, and it makes me think about the importance of us being proactive and act, and really thinking about what we need to be who we need to be as humans if we are going to compete, I guess for lack of a better term, in a world where AI can do so much. And if we want to differentiate ourselves as humans, which I'm sure everyone would agree that we want to be able to do this, we have to be curious. We have to be able to socially connect. The problem is that this technology often seems, it seems like there's the potential for it to work in a completely different direction than is to the than is to our benefit. So I think about this, perhaps like you were saying, uh, reducing curiosity because we continue to seek evidence that supports our beliefs, and we're presented with evidence that supports our beliefs, and so we may not exhibit curiosity. Or I think about technology in in the role in it, uh, of its the potential role that it has in stifling our ability to have empathy, to be sensitive in social situations, because if we're so reliant on technology and we need experience in order for normal, healthy brain development to, ha to happen, uh, and we need, ex we need learning, we need the opportunities to interact with others in social situations. When we have those opportunities, healthy brain development happens. I think technology can limit that. And then we become not much different, if we're not careful, in subsequent generations from what AI is currently capable of doing. So we have to be really cautious to make sure that we are actively encouraging the development of empathy and connection. What's well, another reason to, for faculty to incorporate AI technology, when it's done behind the scenes, it, a lot more can go wrong. Yes. But if we bring it out into the light and say, this is a great tool, this is not something that we're scared of, this is something we're embracing, 
students won't see it as the naughty way out or do it behind closed doors where we can actually address it when it's in the classroom. Okay. I think that's a good way to go around to that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think it requires that we very, very clearly articulate what the learning goals are mm -hmm. and that these are articulated beyond the scope of learning uh, learning specific concepts or um, or events or theories, but that we ex we really emphasize in our objectives for a course and 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 regularly emphasize to students the importance of application of thinking in new ways of using what they're learning in a way that is meaningful to them and where they are connecting what they're learning to real-world events. AI doesn't have the ability right now to continuously process information as it is giving you information. Once that information is programmed, that's it. So 2021 and before, I think that's the date. Is that, am I right? And so for us, we can regularly adapt. We can change. As I hear you talking, I'm learning and I'm integrating this into my own experience and my own beliefs. AI doesn't have that capability. And so I think we have to understand AI in order for us to be able to effectively integrate it into the learning environment and use it to the, the best of its capabilities and prepare students. I mean, that kind of just opened up. Um, I remember when you had mentioned um, another useful tool with it was kind of allevi uh, alleviating our own confirmation bias, so to speak, you know, you seek out ideas that are similar to yours. It's just human nature. Um, I don't know, this conversation has, I already knew the usefulness and I already knew that usefulness existed where AI is concerned, but this has kind of just opened, I guess, new ideas for me just in the educate, because, you know, in the classroom, just thinking of classroom settings, I can definitely see where that fear would exist. And even I, I'm not an educator, so I wouldn't have that experience. I, I wouldn't have known all these useful tools, I guess, in ways you can apply it to your own, to your students' growth, so to speak, rather than just, um, you know, it's a no-no tool like Wikipedia or um, just anything else that has come out over the, over the years that ended up, there is a usefulness to them. It's just about finding that and actually using it. Mm -hmm. um, that's the... That's the trick. So, Tom? Uh, now, so I, I guess even before ChatGPT and all this became a thing, uh, are you, are you, do you feel, do you, both of you feel confident that uh, students were probably using it to turn in some writing assignments already before it became such a thing? Not, I'm mean, not saying that was a bad thing, but it's, maybe they were already, because most students are already well ahead of the curve as far as technology. Um, if something's out there, it's going to help. They're going to seek it out and find it. Um, could you tell at that point that, oh, they might be using a little AI to write this? Most of the assignments I do are kind of weird, so it would be hard to use AI in it. But I did have um, an experience with a class that's more limited in the sources they have where I, I got the suspicion because you can see a lot of repeated sentences. Um, there's a certain structure and a beat to the way AI writes that you can start noticing if you're reading a lot. Um, it also does a lot of word salad. 
So you get, you know, you could take one sentence and type into it, make this a paragraph, and it will, but that paragraph won't say very much. So you can kind of get a feeling for when. But then again, I mean, how many of us have had papers done by students where you felt the padding, where someone just sat there and tried to reword the same sentence because they wanted to hit that page count or whatever? And, and so it's right. a similar thing. I, I don't, in my mind... I don't see it as any different than any other tool students have used in the past. I really want to instead take this new technology as an opportunity to reframe or expand upon how I currently um, want students to, uh, to experience learning. So, for example, in one of my courses, students are required to come up with a, um, a research question, and then they're asked to use the scientific method and apply concepts that they're learning in class connected to research design to um, design and then conduct research while I scaffold them during the process and they work with other students. Now, they have to then, at the end of the semester, and there's various parts of the project, but one of the components is they do have to present background information on the topic that they are exploring or concepts or theories connected to their research question. I know that ChatGPT can be very useful if a student wanted to dig deeper and do so in a more expeditious manner. And I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with students doing that as long as they're then getting into groups, talking about that with their classmates. They're sharing what they've learned. They're able to share this with me, what they've learned. And there's different ways that we can do this. But the rest of their project is something that currently AI can't do, and that is designing the study and then conducting the study where they actually have to go and collect data. They have to conduct an experiment, think about independent and dependent variables, controlling for extraneous variables. Uh, they have to think about things like ethics and research. They have to come up with an informed consent. So I do this because um, it really allows students to apply what they're learning. It allows them to think about learning in a way that is personally meaningful and allows them to think about the research process. So they're applying concepts. And I think about how these types of assignments will be, um, will continue to be useful in the classes that I teach. And I'll probably expand on them in ways so that I know that even if students are using ChatGPT, they're still learning. And I think there are ways we can do that. We just have to be creative. Yeah, isn't creativity, and I know, I know, the faculty I've encountered at Northeast State, they're all, nobody Nobody wants to just turn out another class of students. I know we've got spring graduation coming up and we're going to have another several hundred graduates. Um, but nobody wants to simply turn out graduates. We want, these are all individuals that have skills, creative skills uh, in whatever major they've gone through in, but also the faculty I've always known, and both of you included, as you've talked about today, want them to understand how the world is working, where it's moving, what it's doing. And isn't that, isn't that just something else you need? We, you want to incorporate in the classroom as a teaching tool that, that really, the, I mean, the compass, the protractor, the encyclopedia, these are just tools in learning. Isn't, do, do we want, really want to look at AI as just one more tool in equipping them with those skills? I do. I mean, I think that that's, I, 
honestly, who isn't going to use it? That's my thought. When you have to fire off that email and you're tired and you don't know how to word it, having an AI be able to write it out for you, it's a useful tool. And you can think of it as a way of leapfrogging to the more interesting side of academia. Um, that if they have this AI tool to help them summarize a reading or help them get started on an essay, then I can start talking about some of the bigger historical concepts and the background players and all these little details that ordinarily I'd have to cut out because even as a history teacher, I have to stop and explain how you do these things and, and all of that. If we can see it as a way to thinking, and particularly nowadays, when our students are coming to us from an education system that doesn't, does not encourage creativity or critical thinking, to come here, we have, in a, a lot of cases, we're the last stop for our students. They're never going to go further in education. This is our opportunity to show them critical thinking, the depth, the connections, the perspectives, all the different stuff that makes life more gooder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, the, all the depth of things that makes life more entertaining and more interesting. And we get so hung up on these little rote things, um, which are necessary for communication and for the ability to talk. But at the same time, the higher thought process is what's actually more important. I think so. And I think if we stay in that space of you can't use this or you're only allowed to use this for these circumstances and not those, we're not preparing students to function in the real world. We have to think about what is our purpose as educators. And we want students to be prepared. And we also want students to be able to thrive within our community. And I think if we're not doing things like using the technology that is available that can serve as a springboard so that we can have even deeper discussions. We can have even more critical thinking skills developing or greater development of critical thinking skills. I think we're not maximizing the opportunities that are available to us. And ultimately, that's not good for us as individuals and it's not good for us as a community. I think our community has just as much capability of having the high-level critical thinking skills and the ability to create and innovate as anywhere else. We just have to think about the tools that are available and see them as opportunities instead of things that we need to maybe worry about. And there are many people who see them as opportunities, but for anyone who is worried about them, I think if you explore uh, and you learn more about them, then your fears will be, uh, will be reduced. They'll be alleviated. There is fear. We don't know some of what's coming in the future. But that's somewhat exciting in a way. It's an opportunity for us to grow and to, to think about the world in new ways, to think about ourselves in new ways. Plus, it's just cool. Yeah. We yes. human yeah. beings have invented a technology that can write an essay for us. That's amazing. amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible. There is a machine I talk about in my Humanities 2350, Technology and Culture, that the Greeks invented that runs on sand, and it moved really slowly. It had a sand drop, and it had a wheel, and it would pull. And they invented it, and they used it to pull scenery in plays. They didn't need it. They had people that could do it, but it was cool and so they invented it and they used it and it became part of the show and that's how I see this it's mm -hmm. this is part of the show now and we should be figuring out how to use it to the best advantage absolutely and I think and as you're saying this I'm thinking about the ability of AI to help us to address 
one of the problems that I think many people have thought about in education is, and that is the compartmentalization of knowledge. I think with AI technology like ChatGPT, we'll see less compartmentalization of knowledge. We'll be able to think about how topics or fields of study that may seem so distantly connected really are fundamentally connected. And so I think this is a great opportunity for our own cognitive growth and then the growth of us as a society and how we think about life, how we, how we think about, um, how we think about each other. Excellent. Yeah, very true. Wow. Some incredible insights on, on all of this. Um, we like to close the show with a, an interesting question. This question was not generated by AI, but we kind of, kind of do a, do a little change up with guests and ask them a question. And the question we're going to ask you is think of an animal in the world that you would like, that you would be fascinated to see if it was the size of an elephant, what would that animal be? Not an elephant, of course, but. Hmm. An ostrich. That's terrifying. I know, uh, ostrich, isn't it? Truly. It would be fascinating <laughs> to be able to see it in its all full glory. Climb right on up in there. I don't know. I am Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that, darn it. I You'd like have that. some great feathers. You could make a hat. Think of the eggs. I'm saying. Oh, oh my yes. It would be fantastic. The ostrich, okay. Kristen, <laughs> top I, I'm, that. I'm along the bird line. Mine's not probably as interesting as yours, but I do think I would have to say the peacock, the male peacock, because they are so beautiful. And I wonder if they're really large, if they would be slower, and therefore you could catch up to them to take a better look at their beautiful feathers. Um, but I, I think that's what I would I would go with. A beautiful wow. Fascinating. Peacock. Well, hmm. very interesting. Ostrich peacock. There you go. Yeah, the, yeah. the questions of another, another co-host of ours, uh, I won't mention his name since he's not here, but he is certainly with us in spirit, Mr. Matt Poole. He, uh, his answer was a duck. Oh, see? It's a bird oh. question, clearly. Birds. People all, like all birds. It just Large points birds. you in the direction oh. of birds. I wonder what that says. Is I mean, I think it's interesting because the birds that we've selected are not those that we would typically have that much trouble seeing. We're not choosing, like, the eagle, Leave right? Leave to the psychology the professor to read into this. <laughs> 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 Perfect. Why are they all partially grounded or mm-hmm. spending lots of time on the ground? Not partially, but at, so, there's some variation in that. They're all, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder what that says about us. What do you think it says about us? Oh, gosh, I'm not the expert Let's on that. Let's ask the AI. Let's ask the AI. Let's ask ChatGPT. Let's ask ChatGPT. We should try that. Ask mm-hmm. that question. You'll have to return with that question and answer that's generated. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go back to the office and do that without a doubt now. <laughs> Maybe that's use different idea. versions of ChatGPT because there are different versions that you, mm-hmm. can, you can use. And it'll be interesting to see what the different versions have to say. A bunch of different think. birds. A there lot you of go. different birds, maybe. yes. It's a trend. It's hmm. a trend. Or maybe it is more similar to us than we think, if that's the case. I'm just... <laughs> oh, is it thinking? When, when does it is start it thinking? thinking? When is there... Because obviously you extend... Everything technology extends, and people are more than happy to extend technology for nefarious mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
is there a point where it starts thinking or do we even, could we even fathom that right now? Or is that all just science fiction? At this point, all technology is bound by human understanding. So even if it was thinking, it could only think like us. Um, I don't know why we would do it is the, the main thing I think when I talk to my students about artificial intelligence becoming sentient. It's like, why would we want to do that? Um, is it coming? Yeah, somebody's going to do it. Um, there'll be some kind of financial application and, and that's what's going to crank it out, which is basically what's happened with the AI. Um, I don't think it's a good idea, but I don't think we're going to end up with Skynet and Terminators or anything like that either. So, I, I mean, it's it, it's just something else we'll do. And at the same time, there is kind of a, a coolness to it that humans possibly could invent something that could think on its own within human limitation. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting as a exercise, but I don't know how practical it would be in practice. I think we have to think too about what does it mean to think? What do we rely on when we think? And does AI or will AI have that ability? What would require what would be required of the technology in order for AI to have that ability? Uh, you know, human thinking involves the the interconnection of things that AI currently doesn't have at its um, as a resource. So I think about things like um, the inter, inter, interconnection of our memories, of our emotions, of our current reasoning that's taking place, of our decisions, and even our motivations, our aspirations. And I think it's, it's important to note, too, that human thinking is continuously adaptive and responsive to the changes that take place. And right now, human, you know, chat GPT has an endpoint. Human beings, uh, as we, we do not, I mean, we do in our life in the physical sense, but our thinking, what we base our thinking on does not, except that the endpoint is right now. For chat GPT, it's sometime in the past. And so to be able to integrate all of those things that are part of what it means to be human requires tremendous advances in AI. But I've, from everything I've heard and read, the movement is towards an AI that is self-reflective. And so um, who knows when that will happen. I imagine that with AI, that it will happen faster than we think it will because AI, again, like we talked about, AI produces just basic chat GPT, GPT produces or generates responses that allow us to go places we may not have been able to go in our thinking or our teaching, for example. And so I think about then, how does this apply to the growth of AI? If we have the synthesis of information that would have required a lot of cognitive effort now taking place in a millisecond, how fast are these changes going to happen as a result within technology and other fields as well? Truly, the future is, uh, yeah, the future is Right, but certainly a, a lot of knowns and unknowns, but. Yeah. Tabitha, Kristen, thank you both so much for being on this. It's been super insightful. Really appreciate all your, t your time and your insights on this subject. It's been really fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been great just chatting about it. It really has. I appreciate the opportunity and I have enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Did you like this conversation about ChatGPT? 
Well, you can learn a lot about history, psychology, and over 130 other majors at Northeast State Community College, northeaststate.edu. Visit our website and check us out. We are registering right now for summer and fall terms, so give us a look. We know you've got something you might like. That's northeaststate.edu. Well, that closes up another episode of The Sound Barrier, friends. Check us out on thesoundbarrier.net, thesoundbarrier.com. You can also uh, check us on any of your favorite streaming platforms, be it Amazon Music, iTunes Radio, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on them all. Go out there and check it out. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review if you'd like. Until then, next time, we will see you on the next episode of The Sound Barrier.